warehouse software systems primed for more automation. The White House reveals its report on America's supply chains. New efforts to aid river traffic on the Mississippi and a look back at National Forklift Safety Day. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories, as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the editorial director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Honeywell Intelligrated. From system design and emulation to integrated warehouse automation software and technologies to ASRS shuttles and robotics, Honeywell Intelligrated's end-to-end solutions address the most pressing e-commerce and labor challenges facing our industry. To learn more, visit sps.honeywell.com. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham will be along to provide their insight into the top stories of this week. And we'll also be joined this week by contributing editor Toby Gooley. But to begin today, companies are adding new automation and robotic systems to their distribution facilities at a dizzying pace. And all of it requires sophisticated software to tie everything together for a smooth operation. Are today's warehouse management systems up to the challenge? To address that topic, here is Ben with today's guest. Ben? Thanks, Dave. That's right. We have a guest with us today who's Dan Gilmore. He's the Chief Marketing Officer with Softion, who are a warehouse and logistics software provider. Uh, Dan, thank you for being with us this morning. Ben, glad, glad to be here. I look forward to the conversation. Great. Uh, as Dave had referred to a minute ago, uh, you know we've seen a huge jump in automation, um, technology, robotics in in the DC. Um, you know, autonomous mobile robots, uh, picking arms, good to person flows, uh, wearables. You know, at, at the same time, a huge jump in e-commerce and uh, pressures for next day delivery. Um, you know, what are some of the challenges that that you've seen for installing warehouse management system WMS platforms today? that might have been different from five years ago or 10 years ago? Sure, well, you know, the reality of it is, of course, as much as the same, right? I mean, so uh, one of the unique, uh, you know, characteristics of a WMS, apart from any other supply chain application, uh, is the need to synchronize kind of the logical world and the real and the physical world and do so in real time. And that just doesn't, isn't the case for things like supply chain planning or network design or any number of other supply chain. Uh, even transportation management to an extent is, is not quite the same as that. So it just presents some real challenges that I think will be with us, you know, for a long, long time. But, but as you stated, you know, the challenges are evolving. Uh, you know, first, clearly, there's a lot more automation. There's no question about that, as you indicated, driven by uh, e-commerce. Um, but, you know, there's and there's kind of two flavors of that, right? There's the traditional automation that is still very prevalent in terms of things like uh, conveyor transport and automated sortation and those sorts of things. And then sort of a new generation of technology in terms of things like uh, goods to person, uh, mobile robots, even put walls and, and things of that nature. So, you know, it, it, it's just a different landscape now and, and, and all of us are, are kind of evolving together in this kind of new uh, new paradigm. But you know, really, there, there's you know, there really shouldn't be that much risk in the integration between the WMS and the automation if you know what you're doing. Um, what what you know, what is a challenge more than just the fit the integration, you know, to the kind of physical equipment, is just the all the added process complexity that's going on in our warehouses today, both driven by automation and apart from it in terms of services and and uh, you know, customer requirements that have to be met in uniquely. 
um, and, and the dependencies that are in the DC. So when you have multiple steps and multiple stages in a process of order fulfillment, you know, you have these dependencies that are going to affect the, uh, the throughput of up and downstream systems. So going back to the put walls that I referenced a second ago, if you have delays upstream, you're going to starve that pull wall and slow down the turns of those cubby holes. Hopefully people know what a pull wall uh, is. Um, but it's going to turn down the, or slow down the turning of those cubby holes, how fast an order is processed, which is the whole key to success in ROI, right? So, so what's different now is that you really have to be more cognizant of all the flows and their dependencies and synchronize those in a way that's going to that's going to have a steady flow of work and neither overload nor starve individual process areas. Got it. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point about tying together those digital and physical worlds. Uh, so, I mean, what happens if, if it doesn't go well? I mean, what are the potential risks or the costs for a user uh, if a WMS installation takes longer than expected or if it struggles to integrate all those different platforms? Sure. Well, <laughs> it causes big problems, that's for sure. Um, you know, there's, you know, obviously the obvious risk of not being on time with the project. And unfortunately, when you're not on time with the project, it usually means you're not being on budget either because you've got building costs that are, are uh, going to be incurred, you know, due to the delay. Uh, but there's even then more serious risks. Uh, uh, companies are often now implementing WMS on very kind of tight timeframes in terms of their own schedule. And so if you have delays or problems, you know, you may miss a window before a company's peak season. Uh, and you now no longer have the uh, luxury of, of implementing it that, you know, even just a few months late, you have to wait a bunch of additional months until a, a low volume window kind of opens itself up again. And, and that's going to be, you know, kind of hell to pay if I may, uh, for, uh, for a lot of different stakeholders in that kind of a process. Um, and then, you know, so we focus a lot on, you know, real uh, on time and on, on, on uh, budget. And we often kind of leave off, you know, on results and, when you have the kind of delays that you were referring to there, um, the ROI of the project is certainly going to be affected as well. Sometimes for, you know, I mean, a long time. I mean, once you get that time to value um, in, ter in terms of what your expectations are, and the reality of it is if you have the kind of problems that you indicated, you may never get to the levels of performance that you were expecting going in, or it's going to take a lot of work and time to do that. So one of the things that I've noticed in terms of, um, you know, WMS the selection processes and things is that you know, there's a lot of focus, obviously, on the functionality and the capabilities, and that's as it should be, of course. But sometimes there's not enough focus on this delivery aspect of the WMS and, and what companies can do to, to accelerate that time to value and the differences and approaches that different WMS vendors take to, uh, uh, to doing that. Um, you know, just as, a, just as an example of that kind of thing, we have a notion we call hypercare, and that's after go live, we just put a lot of intense focus for a couple, three weeks on, on getting that ramp from, uh, you know, usually a little bit of a drop in productivity to back to the productivity had and now above that, that's gonna, that justifies the whole system. And so that's really, you know, especially in the, the complex world of distribution that we're living in now, that's something companies really need to pay a lot of attention to because no one wants to go back to the, the CEO or the VP of supply chain or the CFO or whatever and say, this project's late and this is the cost we're going to incur from doing so. Right, right. It, it's big, big problems and costs there. But at the same time, it's not necessarily getting easier to install or to implement a WMS. Uh, I, we were talking earlier, there's an evolution from you know just a, a sort of a pure warehouse management system to warehouse management and a warehouse execution system, which is a, a sort of newer platform uh, that that uh, a lot of facilities use to manage those automation platforms. Yeah, sure. I'll just 
quickly to your comment, there are some things that are happening to make WMS implementations easier, especially in a rollout of multiple facilities. So things like configuration wizards, a term that, uh, that we use, uh, that can kind of, you know, guide somebody, uh, you know, a company through the implementation process uh, in a faster and easier and kind of error-correcting way. Um, you know, there's, there's progress being made there. There's no question about it. it you know, it's, it's combating the added complexity and automation uh, levels that we see in the DCs today, but, but there's certainly some progress being made there, so I'll, I'll just note that. Um, you know, WS is, you know, a fascinating category. You know, it's actually been around for more years than most people realize, but it's just kind of come back into prominence. Just the, what a WES can do from our perspective, you know, in terms of providing that real-time visibility to what's happening on the DC floor and, and the flows and the dependencies that I talked about earlier, very advanced, you know, labor planning and scheduling and doing that in a kind of a time-phased way to understand what my work and my resources are going to be from 8 to 9 and 9 to 10 and 10 to 11 and, and that kind of thing that we're used to in manufacturing but hasn't really been present in distribution. Optimizing order batches as they're, you know, released to the floor and really smoothing, Ben, to the point you were talking about, smoothing that flow of work based on capacities and constraints, um, so that you know, you know, again, you're neither, you know, you're neither starving nor overloading an individual process area. And you only can do that by kind of understanding the whole flow of the distribution center, not a series of kind of islands of automation, if you will. And from our perspective, and this is where you know the real breakthrough really is, the ability to automate the release of work to the floor. One of the insights that we really had is how much even an advanced WMS is, is requires of a lot of human decision making and looking at screens and looking at data. And uh, is there not a way to add the smarts to make that happen automatically? And so, uh, where, where this can you know really change things in what Gartner again calls the autonomous WMS or the smart warehouse of the future? How do I release work automatically based on optimization opportunities, order priorities, inventory and resource availability, carrier cutoff times, and other variables? We're going to make, you know, the, the system is going to make sure that the boxes that are supposed to be on the UPS truck at 4 o'clock are on there and release the work automatically to ensure that that happens versus the kind of, you know, almost semi-chaos that happens in a lot of facilities trying to make sure all those orders get on the box that they've committed to in terms of next day service or whatever that happens to be. And I think the really exciting part about that, Ben, is that it applies not only to automated DCs, where we so much think about uh, WES, but also the non-automated facilities as well. And some of our best successes uh, in WES have been uh, is either manual uh, systems or or lightly auto or mid you know mid-level automation systems. Then you don't have to be fully automated to enjoy the benefits of WES in terms of that auto release of work, labor planning and scheduling, et cetera. Interesting point. Yeah, no, nobody likes that uh, that that sort of controlled uh, chaos that you're talking about there. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think that's in anybody's work plan for the the, the day uh, for the warehouse. Uh, but it sounds like the goal uh, of some of this though is to try to move from a, a difficult uh, integration to more of a plug and play approach uh, with, with, with the new uh, software platforms, is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's part of it. Of course, this is a big topic and we probably can only you know partially cover it today here, but um, you know, there's no question that, you know, if you have a highly automated distribution center, you know, it's going to take some time. I mean, if nothing else, you got to wait a long time for the conveyors to show up these days, uh, the hardware side of things. But, um, you know, it, there's going to be some time it takes to, 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 to integrate. But there are some things you can do to accelerate the, uh, the time frame of the integration. One of the things, for example, we think is underused is this concept of simulation. Uh, where you can really uh, streamline the process of the MHE to WMS integration and uh, and performance. So, you know, you can simulate the messaging with an MHE system with the same configuration that a customer's WMS is going to be and really let it play out and see, you know, what the message response times are and make any adjustments that are needed 
um, based on that simulation so that, you know, when you're ready to go live, you've reduced the risk and have a high level of confidence that those integrations are going to work. That's, that's very interesting. But I think with, um, you know, some of the, what I like to call picking subsystems, things like voice, pick to light, smart carts, put walls, mobile robots, it still just takes too long and it's just too hard to integrate these into the WMS. And, you know, often, you know, the, the, the provider of those systems is, you know, provides the software as well as kind of an add-on, you know, that has to be integrated with the WMS. And, and they wind up operating kind of a, in the silo and you can't fully optimize, you know, those processes because you don't have the full information and, and exception handling is very difficult. So in that plug-and-play concept, we find it, you know, faster and easier to integrate kind of just at what we call the API level to all this equipment. It means you don't need that additional layer of software to run the put walls or to run the pictolite or whatever that subsystem happens to be. It can all be managed on the WMS platform, and that has lower cost. It, op- it improves decision-making because you're looking at all the data, and as I said, uh, dramatically uh, improves exception uh, exception management. And you mentioned autonomous mobile robots. This is where we think it's especially valuable. Uh, you know, you want to have, you know, the, if, you, if you use the robot software, then you have, you know, you're kind of locked in there. Well, what if you need robots for other purposes? Or what if there's a better robot that comes, across, uh, comes around, uh, you know, two years from now? Uh, we think the right way to think about it is to have a platform that can manage multiple robots from multiple vendors that's going to give you the greatest flexibility. You can, you know, if you need one kind of robot for piece picking, you assign that kind of robot to the task. If you another, need another one for put away or replenishment, you assign that to the task. And all of these are visible and operating and optimized on one platform. And if a couple of years from now, better mousetrap comes along in terms of a robot, you can keep what you have and add new robots in or phase them in or whatever you want to do. It kind of future-proofs your operation. So we think this, you know, notion of extensive, you know, lengthy, Materials handling integration certainly is going to come down through these kind of techniques. Yeah, I mean, if, if there's one thing that we can be sure of as we've seen technology advance is that uh, that there will be another mousetrap, a better one coming around uh, the corner soon. Uh, Dan, thank you really uh, for being with us and, and uh, talking us through all these interesting steps today. Yeah, Ben, it was great. Uh, we could go on for a long time. A lot happening out there right now, uh, but a pleasure to, uh, to be on with you here today. For sure. Uh, we've had uh, with us today a uh, guest on the podcast was Dan Gilmore, and uh, he's the Chief Marketing Officer with Softion. Uh, back to you, Dan. Thank you, Dan and Ben. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. National Forklift Safety Day was held this past Tuesday, June 8th, and we're proud to mention that DC Velocity is official media partner for this industry initiative. Contributing editor Toby Gooley is here to tell us about the annual event and what took place this week. Welcome, Toby. Thanks, Dave. Good to be here. First, can you give us some background about National Forklift Safety Day? Sure. Um, This is the eighth year that the Industrial Truck Association has sponsored National Forklift Safety Day. Um, They see it as an opportunity for ITA and its members to educate customers, government officials, other stakeholders about the safe use of forklifts and the importance of training not just the operators, but also the pedestrians who work around forklifts. So to help ITA spread the forklift safety message, we published a special supplement to the May print issue. We also created a web page with links to those articles, as well as related news stories and information from program sponsors. And listeners can find all of that information at dcvelocity.com forward slash NFSD 2021. Right, and those people who have uh, podcast notes on their podcast platform will also include that link there. 
So Toby, what does National Forklift Safety Day program usually include? And was it affected by having the COVID-19 pandemic happening still this year? Yeah, uh, so typically the event is held in Washington, D.C., with ITA hosting an educational program that features speakers from government, the forklift industry, and industrial safety organizations, as well as uh, meetings with members of Congress on the Hill. But due to the pandemic, this year's event was limited to the educational segment, and it was presented as a webcast. So the webcast is free, by the way, and, and a recording version a recorded version is still available by registering through the webcast section of dcvelocity.com. Great. So what were some of the program's highlights? Well, uh, it kicked off with ITA President Brian Fian re reiterating the forklift industry's ongoing commitment to safety. Then um, ITA Chairman Jay Gussler talked about how demand for lift trucks in the U.S. has been very robust for the past year. And he partly attributed that to the dramatic increase in e-commerce during the pandemic. Um, they also had executives from the Reverse Logistics Association and the Retail Industry Leaders Association discussing some of the challenges and changes that their industries which depend very heavily on warehouses and distribution centers are facing right now. And then Michael Field, who is this year's National Forklift Safety Day Chair, talked about the benefits of using technology like telematics and virtual reality to enhance safety training for forklift operators. But the really newsworthy presentation was by James Frederick, the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Labor at the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, which everyone knows as OSHA. He said that from 2011 to 2019, the number of forklift-related fatalities increased by 20%, and serious injuries increased by 33%. The sharpest rise began in 2016, which is about the time that e-commerce volumes are really taking off. He also said that temporary employees and those with a year or less in their current jobs are particularly at risk, and that four of the top five forklift-related violations that OSHA cited in the past few years involved operator training. Now, Frederick also talked about the Biden administration's priorities for OSHA. He said first that OSHA will be reinvigorated, is the word he used, under the new administration. That second, the agency will enhance support for what he called the often forgotten frontline workers and small employers in essential industries. And third, OSHA will work to eliminate inequalities in workplace health and safety. So for example, the examples he gave was that some workers don't receive the same level of safety training as other employees because of language differences, race, ethnicity, immigration status, and other factors. So these last two are areas that have not previously been priorities at OSHA. And it sounds to me like reinvigorated means more resources with more investigations and enforcement, all of which had been pared back under the Trump administration. And of course, safety is something we should always keep in mind, not just during National Forklift Safety Day. Thanks, Toby. <laughs> That's absolutely true. Well, thanks for having me. And Ben, you reported this week on the long-awaited review from the White House on America's supply chains. What did the report say? That's right, Dave. Yeah, but we've seen uh, companies in almost every sector have enormous disruptions over the past year um, in supply chain, procurement, transportation, shipping. 
Uh, so this week we did, we heard from the White House about what they plan to help do about it uh, in the form of a report that been, had been commissioned in March by President Biden as a 100-day review of the supply chain for certain products. Of course, the flow of goods around the world has been shaken by the pandemic, and uh, that included restrictions on a handful of essential items that the White House said were critical for the nation's well-being. So what they reviewed was four things, specifically semiconductors, large capacity batteries, critical materials and minerals, and pharmaceuticals, and some of the ingredients that make them. So we learned that the report suggests strategies for improving the supply of goods in each of those categories, and they uh, they also form a supply chain disruption task force that's designed to address short-term bottlenecks and also mismatches between demand and supply. Uh, finally, it suggested leveraging data to track and to monitor supply chain performance, and also suggested convening a global forum on supply chain resilience. Well, it sounds like those policies could make a difference. Do we know how the industry has reacted to those suggestions? Yeah, great question. It, it's still early. Uh, they're just suggestions, and they include some pretty broad brush approaches. Uh, but having said which, uh, the initial reaction is good from analysts and industry groups. Uh, for example, the Consumer Brands Association, which is a trade group for the consumer packaged goods or CPG sector, noted that modern supply chains are complex and there's no silver bullet solution to achieving that resiliency goal. Uh, but having said that, it called the report spot on in its general approach and said that while the private sector so far has stepped up to meet these challenges, uh, government also needs to play a critical role. Also, uh, an industry analyst, uh, Jonathan Foster, who's with a procurement consulting firm called Proxima, uh, made a similar point saying that global supply chains are incredibly complex. So although the report is focused on those four key sectors we mentioned, uh, the semiconductors, the batteries, the minerals, the pharmaceuticals, uh, it will likely have re repercussions on a much wider array of goods. For example, if the strategy is successful in lifting constraints on computer chips, which we've seen uh, put a stop to manufacture of a lot of cars and, as well as electronics, uh, that move could reinvigorate uh, automotive plants that are now stalled, and that in turn would boost demand for related goods, you know, steel, rubber, and plastic. Uh, so overall, uh, the, the Proxima consultant said that the report uh, is likely to open what he called a dialogue about the constraints that are hamstringing all these supply chains together. Yeah. Well, hopefully we can better our supply chains and reduce much of the congestion we now see on our networks. Thanks, Ben. Of course. And Victoria, you wrote this week about a new smart port and resilience center project that's designed to improve efficiency, safety, and management along the lower Mississippi River. Can you give us details? Sure, Dave. Happy to. So um, we talk quite a bit on the podcast about improving supply chain efficiency and especially visibility. And usually that's when it comes to you know individual companies and their supply chain partners. These things always involve technology, of course. Um, an interesting story came up this week on the same theme, but having to do with river transportation and port management. So the Commerce Department's Economic Development Agency awarded a $1.6 million grant to the nonprofit Water Institute of the Gulf to develop a Lower Mississippi River Smart Port and Resilience Center, as you said. The federal award adds to $1.4 million in matching funding from the state of Louisiana and other partners. 
Um, and they're all involved in what is uh, essentially a $3 million collaborative project that creates the technology system and a facility to house it. The project aims to improve efficiency, safety, and management along the Mississippi. And the smart port, as it's called, will use a digital platform to gather data about river conditions and traffic flow coming from you know, the tugs, barges, and other vessels as they operate on the river. The platform was described to me as a sort of Waze app for the Mississippi, and it's called the uh, Real-Time Shoaling Forecast Tool. So the tool collects all the data I mentioned you know, from the vessels and analyzes it and allows local ports to improve efficiency and really become more resilient. This is especially when they're encountering things like natural disasters and economic shocks that can disrupt the supply chain, things we've seen a lot of this last year. Uh, the system will also pull in available road traffic and weather information, and it really is aimed at giving the digital platform a broader approach uh, to port management. The project also creates um, a set of customized uh, resilience dashboards for the local ports in the area. So it's really an interesting way, I thought, to streamline and better manage you know, river-based transportation, and it really all comes down to visibility, technology, and communication. Yeah, that is. You mentioned there's also a facility to house the project. Can you tell us about that? Yes, yes, that's right. So the investment also includes a new smart port facility, which will be held, or I'm sorry, housed in a place called the Water Campus in Baton Rouge. And the Water Campus is a, a local center dedicated to studying coastal restoration and sustainability. That facility will also serve as a specialized um, emergency operations center for the ports. Um, I should add that both the digital platform and the smart port facility are set to go online in early 2023. So it's a longer term project, uh, but it is in the works. And again, thanks to the uh, recent funding. Yeah, well, let's hope it makes a difference for those that rely on transportation on the Mississippi. Thanks, Victoria. Yes, you're welcome. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. And check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topics that we discussed today. And again, our thanks to Dan Gilmore of Softion for being our guest. We encourage your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform and to give us a rating. We appreciate your feedback and it really does help people to find us. The new episodes of Logistics Matters are uploaded each Friday. And speaking of podcasts, Logistics Matters is sponsored by Honeywell Intelligrated. Be sure to check out the Honeywell Intelligrated's On The Move podcast on Apple, Spotify, or Google. All episodes of their podcast series are also posted at sps.honeywell.com slash onthemovepodcasts. You can also find Honeywell Intelligrated on LinkedIn and Twitter using the hashtag at Intelligrated. And we'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters, when we will look at efforts at creating sustainable ocean ports. So be sure to join us. Until then, please stay safe and have a great week.